This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, and Global Discipleship Initiative hosted a track called The Power of Microgroups to Transform and Multiply Disciples. Greg Ogden facilitated this track for their team, and he has provided a quick one-page summary of how they advise people to do these microgroups. They spell it all out in just one page, and that one-page PDF is available for download for free through discipleship.org. So go online and download their free PDF on how to do microgroups at discipleship.org global. That's discipleship.org global. Now here's the track session for Global Discipleship Initiative. Global Discipleship Initiative is an organization that began about 18 months ago when Dr. Greg and I uh, formed up a, a team and decided we're going to try to go and help churches and pastors launch discipleship initiatives wherever they are. Uh, Greg uh, Ogden here is the author of the material that we use, Discipleship Essentials, Transferable, uh, Transforming Discipleship. Uh, I became uh, aware of this material about seven years ago. I was pastoring a church in Southern California. Uh, I had seen the church grow from a little tiny handful of people to a nice big, uh, lovely sized church with great buildings and great programming and lots of staff and all the rest of the stuff. And we weren't doing discipleship. We were doing a terrible job in that area, just as Willow Creek discovered they were in their reveal study and uh, so many other churches <clears throat> about that time that were doing internal investigation uh, realized that they just weren't doing discipleship well. Uh, I knew we had to do something, and I came across material that I saw Greg Ogden uh, recommend when he was writing an article for Leadership Journal. And so I checked it out. I got a copy of Greg's first, uh, the first book of his that I read was Transforming Discipleship. I liked it. And so I bought three more copies and handed them out to staff members. And I said, you read this and we're going to see, we'll, we'll talk about it. And about a week later, we got together and we started talking about it and decided we're going to try something. And here's a word I use a lot, stealth. Uh, it was an experiment. We weren't going to tell anybody about it. We're just going to try it and see what happens. Uh, I didn't realize how smart that was at the time. We were just trying to protect ourselves. You know, we, we'd started too many programs that just ended up being flops. And so we didn't know whether this would be or not. So we, that's why we called it an experiment. We're just going to try it and see. Jim started a group. Bev started a group. I started a group. Daryl started a group. Uh, what Greg recommends and what's unique about this approach is gender-specific quads. Girls with girls, guys with guys, four people. Um, not one-on-one -on -one like navigators, not, you know, one-on-one, you know, eight or ten like small groups do. This was different. So, okay, he gave rationale for that, made sense, so we decided that's what we would do. Um, <clears throat> it didn't take long before we began to see uh, real life change taking place. My life was changing. I've been a pastor for 27 years by this time. My life was changing. I'd been on 14 years on Campus Crusade staff before that. But this was different. This was unique. I was with four guys. Um, and you girls know this better than us guys do. That we, we don't good, We're not good at relationships. We just don't do them well. You know, I knew the guys, but we, you know, uh, before long, we're telling secrets. You know, we're telling each other real stuff about ourselves, and God is beginning to change our hearts. 
and changes from the inside. And we knew we had something unique going on. Um, we watched it. The four of us who were the leaders kept staying together and we kept working together and kept watching this thing happen and trying to assess what's happening so that we could replicate it so we would know how to, you know, to, to keep this thing going. And um, <clears throat> we finished the curriculum. I finished, my group finished in about a year. Now the groups work independently. This is, uni- this is important. They're not supposed to work synchronized. It's not like synchronized swimming. You know, I mean, everybody's, every group's at a different pace. And you're on pace with your group and what God is doing in your group. It's not about transfer of information. It's transformation. God changing us from the inside. Is it, are we applying these things? If it takes us four weeks to get through one lesson, that's okay. If it takes us two weeks, that's okay. Um, if you don't do the lesson at all because some guy comes in and he's got a problem at work or a problem with a kid or a problem, you know, with his spouse or whatever, um, we may stop and just work on that that week. So <clears throat> we're looking for God to make this applicable to life, and and that's what it was. That's what was happening. So after a year, my group and you sign a covenant, by the way, and I didn't mention the covenant. You sign a covenant when you go in, saying, "When I get done, I'm going to go find three other guys and do it again." So it's got a multiplication component built into it. And sure enough, when we got to the end, my guys were ready. Of course, I'd pass the leadership around. The leadership of a group means, what did you get for question four? What did you get for question four? What did you get? That's all you have to do to lead a group, right? Because it's, it's the Holy Spirit who's teaching. The curriculum is built on the scripture. So, you know, uh, God did his work. Uh, where two or three would gather, he shows up, and he did. Um, <clears throat> so... At the end of a year, my group went out and multiplied. My three guys went out and got groups. They each got three guys. All of a sudden, I went and got three more. Uh, we had, you know, four of us became 16 of us. So did Bev's group. So did Daryl's group. So did Jim's group. All of a sudden, you know, we saw this thing take, you know, much bigger. The next year, it did it again. The next year, it did it again. Now, this thing is really slow. And for pastors, this is really hard. How many pastors here? This is really hard for us, you know. You find something that's good. You want your whole congregation to be able to enjoy it and benefit from it. And my, my staff were always trying to hold me back because I was trying to figure out ways to you know, make this thing go faster, make it go faster. And it kept reminding me that Jesus took three and a half years with 12 guys. And the reason he wept over Jerusalem, I think, was all of these sheep without a shepherd, and he had to just stick to those 12 guys. You know, he had 5,000 guys coming to hear him preach. Um, most of us, most of us pastors would be pretty impressed with that. We'd be pretty impressed with ourselves. 5,000 people come to hear me preach. What do you, what do, you do first? Take an offering. <laughs> and then you build a building. And you, 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 you know, we just know that's the way we do it. Um, Jesus didn't do it that way. He, he concentrated on 12 guys because he knew that was the best way to reach the masses. That's the way you really get it done. Uh, it's not the American model, and it goes counter to the American model. And I remember the day after about three years in that I stood in front of the congregation, and I said, if you have a choice between going to your quad meeting, go to your quad meeting. Uh, I was surprised to hear me say it, <laughs> but they were surprised too because we had bought into this thing that the hour on Sunday morning is the most important hour of the week, and I had learned that that's not true. 
That's not true. Where God is working that transformation is the most important time. And those people were seeing far more of it happen in their quads than they could ever see on Sunday morning. Uh, I, I, I was preaching to a 9 to 90, you know, audience. You know, that's too far. wide a age span and all the other things, uh, spiritual, you know, maturity span to really see a lot of stuff happen. So I was entertaining um, on Sunday morning. You know, I was, we had a great celebration. It's not to say that Sunday morning is not important. It is. But what was happening in those quads was far more transformational than what's happening on Sunday morning. And we needed that desperate transformation. We needed transformation desperately. So, um, you've got a note-taking outline in front of you. <clears throat> and let's see if I can move us through here a little bit. We'll have lots of times for questions before we finish up. Session five, putting it all together. <clears throat> you heard the story about the Yankee that came down to the south and he went into the Cracker Barrel, and he sees grits on the menu, and he gets real smart alecky, and he calls the, the waitress over, and he says, what is a grit anyway? And she says, don't you know nothing, honey? Ain't no such thing as a grit. They don't go by them, come by themselves. They come in a group. <laughs> uh, grits are that way, you know? Uh, that's the way grits are. And we've got some grits for you. First, the G stands for generational. I'm going to give you the elements of what's important in these groups. They're generational, okay? Uh, they are intended to, be, to multiply from generation to generation to generation. That's the intention from the very beginning, that these groups are generational. Um, they're also relational. Jesus spent... Three and a half years with 12 guys. They were 24-7 uh, for three and a half years. Uh, this is a highly relational situation. And if it's not, if, if the relationships aren't there, this thing is not going to work. And, and, you, and I didn't know that. And I didn't know how to do relationships. I'm a guy. I didn't know much about relationships. Uh, not had many real close relationships. Uh, except with my wife, you know, and my kids. But I, as far as other guys were concerned, we went fishing, we went hunting, we did that stuff together. But uh, that's not the same thing. Uh, I didn't realize how critical this is. I had a whole lot to learn in this relational area. But you're going to find that this works in this, this uh, environment. Um, the I is for intentional. Uh, he said, go and make this. And this is, he he intends for us to do this. Uh, I, uh, I miss this. I was on campus crusades. My, my dad graduated from New Orleans Seminary, and they gave him a ring. It said Matthew 28, you know, 19 through 20, and, and has the Great Commission right there. If I went up to any pastor in America uh, and asked him what, the, what was Jesus' last command, what would they say? Go into all the world and make disciples. They could quote it for me. If I asked them to name Jesus' disciples, what would they do? Well, it was Matthew, it was James, Peter, James. They would name probably, you know, 8 out of 10. And if I said, well, name your disciples, it'd be this awkward pause. You know, and then to be just like me. I could have named any disciples. You know, I spent a lot of time with one guy. We went, you know, you golf with somebody. That, does that count? No, it doesn't. If you're not discipling somebody with the idea they're going to make disciples, then you're not teaching them to be fully devoted followers. You're not teaching them to obey all the commands I've given you because that's his last command, right? Is it going to make disciples? So if you're not teaching people to obey the last command, you haven't finished the job. 
uh, I, uh, I had to get intentional about discipleship. I couldn't just hope it was happening on Sunday morning, which is, I guess, what I was doing, is thinking it would. Um, <laughs> we did a very embarrassing survey one time. <laughs> we did a, a doctrinal survey of the congregation to see how much they really knew. They didn't know anything. You know, 25 years, I'd been preaching my heart out, preaching the scriptures as clear as I could, and they just didn't get it. I was so shocked at the basic stuff they didn't get. But they get in a group, and there's something that happens when you have to articulate with, you know, three other guys what that meant. You know, what's John 3.16 actually mean? Well, they've heard the pastor, but they've never said it. But now they've got to write it down, then they've got to articulate it. And all of a sudden, it becomes knowledge for them. Uh, they get it, they, they understand. Uh, and in the curriculum that we're using, goes through all of, has all of the basic stuff there. It's Christianity 101. It's what you get in the first year of Bible college. Uh, it's all there. And you, that's what they're going to have when they finish this thing. But you get intentional about making disciples, and, and this is what you can hope will happen. Now, uh, next part. Um, it's transformational. <clears throat> um, so much of discipleship, and I, I don't do this to, uh, I'm not trying to bash other guys that are doing discipleship, but it's, it, it, a lot of it's just the information. And I, I read the books and it says, you know, here's what a disciple should be and gives you all the stuff and you read it all and you've got the information, but does that mean that my life is somehow synced with that? It doesn't. But in this environment, you have real transformation because you start getting honest with each other. You start being, uh, you start asking the hard questions. You know, what are you struggling with? Well, hey, my computer. You know, I, I, I can't keep from watching this stuff on my computer. And we had guys come and hand their computers to another guy in the group and say, would you hold on to this for me and pray for me? Uh, they start dealing with real stuff in their lives. Uh, transformational. And it needs to be that. Uh, and you have, to, you have to move toward that because that's what makes this real disciples. <clears throat> Finally, it's spirit-driven. Um, obviously, none of this is going to happen because we want it to happen or are trying to make it to happen. If the Spirit of God isn't at work, uh, then we're, we're kidding ourselves. So the whole thing is bathed in prayer. You know, we start our groups in prayer. We end our groups in prayer. We have prayer time for each other. I, you know, I, I got my little thing on, app on my phone, and I, I put all my prayer requests from my guys in my quad, and I pray for them. Uh, I pray for them this morning when I first wake up, you know. Uh, I teach our guys, you know, hit your knees before you hit your feet. Every morning, hit your knees before you hit your feet. Um, and you start off your day with prayer, and you pray for each other, and you pray for those prayer requests that the other guys in the group have given you. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the Holy Spirit does His work. Now, we borrowed a, an illustration uh, from um, Jim Putman. Some of you have seen it. Uh, you have the, the driver up here. You have a vehicle. You have a GPS or map, and it equals a successful journey. That's the way you get there. Uh, you d Somehow this was not supposed to all show up at once, but it did. Okay. It's supposed to be just the top part, and then I get you the bottom part. But anyway... Um, <clears throat> uh, 
we, we liken this to an intentional leader. The driver is the intentional leader. That's the guy who says, okay, I've got, uh, I'm, I'm, I've been praying about uh, taking a spiritual journey and I want you to go with me. I, your God's been putting you on my heart and Jeff, I want you to join me on this spiritual journey. What do you say? Yeah. Well, okay. He's, oh, he's interested. Okay, good. Uh, I may grab the book and give it to Jeff and say, would you read the first 14 pages of, of this Discipleship Essentials curriculum because it tells you exactly what we're going to be talking about, what's in the group. And there's a covenant right at the end. It says, okay, when I join this group, I'm going to, I'm going to do my homework. I'm going to come regularly and spend an hour and a half with my guys in my group. I'm going to be transparent and open. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Uh, in, right? um, and at the, when I finish, I'm going to go get three guys and, and start another group. So he commits to that, but that intentional leader uh, explains all of that and then draws them in and then starts and then con uh, convenes the group. You find a time uh, when you can meet uh, and you convene the group. Uh, the relational environment is, you know, that's, that is the group. That's the quad. Why do we use a quad instead of a, instead of a one on one? You know, I had one of the gals in the last session said, talked about the navigator training that she had, one-on-one, and uh, the unhealthy relationship sometimes that developed there. They don't always. Navigator's been doing a great job for 75, 80 years now. Uh, but, and theirs is, is mostly one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, some of the downside of that is it, it forms a dependency relationship sometimes, and one guy's got to be the teacher, one guy's got to be the student, so it's always somebody hierarchical kind of a thing. Somebody's got to know all the answers, right? You go into these groups, and the Holy Spirit's a teacher, you don't have to have a seminary education. You don't even have to have done it before. You can convene the group and everybody's learning together. And the Holy Spirit teaches you something and teaches me. And we trade knowledge uh, together. And four guys or four gals, you know, learning together like that, uh, you'll get the truth. You'll get, the Holy Spirit somehow makes you, <laughs> you know, because if I'm getting off base somewhere, Jeff's going to you know, tell me where it is. He's going to help me figure it out. Um, so the intentional leader puts it together. The relational environment helps it, helps, it, helps it grow. The reproducible process, that's our curriculum. That's the book that we use. I th most of you have seen it. This is all messed up because it's my first copy, and it's, I, I put a spiral binding on it because it's falling apart. Uh, but this is, this is the curriculum that we use. And like I said, this is Christianity 101. It's the first year of Bible college. It's every, everything you need to know. In, the, in your um, your basic understanding of what a Christian is, um, <clears throat> this is the reproducible process. It's something that when you're done, you got it and you got all the answers, right? Not only have I got my answers, you know, I got your answers. <laughs> I got the other guys in my group's answers. You know, I've added theirs because when they were saying them, theirs were better than mine, so I wrote them down. Um, and so I've got a book full of answers here. Uh, when I start my, I feel confident. Hey, I convened my next group. You know, I've got the data here. I can do this. Not only that, you know, I've made the guys in my group, you know, take turns sharing and leading the group. So they've had experience. Um, they feel confident. Um, that's the reproducible process. It's something that they feel like and after a year's time, they can do this. They can pull this off. Most of them feel comfortable doing it. Um, and of course, what, you, what we hope to end up with are the disciple makers. Uh, that's people who are going to be able to make this happen. Now, um, let's stop for questions. Yes, ma'am. So at the end of the year in Ezekiel, you started out with a child or somebody that 
further along in their faith and right. you just don't feel like they are ready to do? Would you just have them go with you again? Yeah, you yeah, that's a great idea. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Anybody else got thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, we've been doing discipleship in our church for about 11 years in the men's ministry and we've been using Greg's book for the last three. Okay. And we do that. We There's some guys that say that we're not ready um, assess that, and so they, they actually either two Tim we call them Pauls and Timothys. So Timothys would team up together, become there you go. Pauls, and it's yeah. worked fairly well. At some point, you need to encourage them because until they become and do it on their own, that's where the transformation really occurs is when you do it on your own. And, yeah. And lead. But that's but if it's a if it's a baby Christian, uh, when I started my group, I got you know two elders and one of the other very you know mature late, uh, late guy, and the group went fast. We we just had a ball. We immediately went out and multiplied. Daryl, who's my evangelist, he 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 talks to anybody and leading people to Christ every day, and you know he's got all brand new baby Christians in his group. You know, so he's bottle feeding the whole way through. It takes him almost two years to get through the first time, and then he has to go out and say, okay. He went to the burger barn. He put them at four different tables, you know, three different tables. He got guys to go, you know, and he had to walk them through and, and have stand there, you know, almost leaning over their shoulder, helping them get through. But he did, and they grew, and he kept, you know, but it just took a lot more work. Uh, if you got a, you start with a nursery as opposed to more mature believers. I started with more mature believers because I wanted to see it reproduce. I wanted to see them reproduce. I knew I needed help making this discipleship thing go. And so I was in, intending to get more mature believers, teach them the process. And right now I've got guys, you know, that are, aren't half, hardly halfway through and they've already started their group. You know, because, and they stay in my group, but they've already started a group because they can, they can do it. They're mature enough to be able to do that. So the, the, those table leaders who have done it a couple of different times, right. is there additional resources that Great question. offered for them? Specifically, as we start to think about, obviously, you can learn again when you go through the second. Time. Sure, I mean, sure. You're sharing, you're looking at your notes, you're seeing if there are other things that they could be doing or that you could do as a group to help. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. What do you do with your original group when they they're already making disciples? They're going through their group again, and <clears throat> the question about whether you ever get bored doing it, you don't, because it's always different people and it's different problems and different issues, and so it's it's always exciting to see people gaining that knowledge. But <clears throat> what do those guys do that you you already went through the curriculum with? Uh, I tend to meet with them every uh, third week. Every second or third week, I'll, I'll set up a rotation for them, depending on where they are. And I use uh, Jim Putman's white book, uh, uh, New Life. Uh, no, Life. Thank you. Real Life. Thank you. Real Life Discipleship. Thank you. I use Jim's uh, Real Life Discipleship because uh, when I was halfway through Jim, uh, through Greg's book, uh, Discipleship Essentials, I, I discovered Jim Putman. <laughs> And I thought, oh, wait a minute, maybe Jim's got a better way, you know. And I so I started comparing the books, and I thought, no, no, Greg's book is the what of a disciple, and Jim's is the how. This is how it happens. And so I take my guys that have done the what, and now they're going there. They can and now they look at Jim's book, which tells you all the how of how a disciple grows, how they develop from a child all the way to a parent or an infant all the way to a parent. He's, he's got it all spelled out so beautifully, and so that helps them understand the process uh, that their disciples are going to go through. Uh, and then after that one, there's you know there's uh, leadership essentials, there's evangelism essentials, there's you know there's several other essentials books that Greg has partnered with and done some of those uh, with as well. Uh, those are great, and you know you find other curriculums to do. But I still 
I go back down to Camarillo, which I don't live there anymore. I retired and I'm living in Washington now. But I go back down to Camarillo, and every time I'm there, I try to meet my original quad, you know, because those guys, you know, we had close friendships, and one was my dentist, so, you know. <laughs> so I go, so yeah, I'm in. <clears throat> so, but you, you, never, you never lose that first, those first relationships. And I, ha I, I did 10 quads in Southern California, and all those guys, you know, when I came up here, uh, getting on the plane, I'm texting them all. Tell them, pray for me. We're going to be, you know, in Nashville. Uh, I get home, I'll be texting them back. And so, so that's all. You don't ever lose those relationships. One more question. Did you, did you, did you, how long did you do the book for? Is it, how, did you do it over what period of time? How long did it take? Yeah. Uh, the first one I did took about a year. It took almost a year to do it. Um, maybe a little less than that for that first group. So in each session, you meet for how long? Hour and a half. Hour and a half, but in its in the the to cover a full lesson in an hour and a half is pushing it. You know, you're you're, you're motoring, you're motoring to get through a, you know one lesson in a week. I had one group pastors who said they were so anxious to get in their church they wanted to motor through. So we we motored through. You know, I just pick every other question. You know, <laughs> we we got through the material that way because they knew the content. It was the methodology that they needed to grasp. And so we, we did that. But if you've got newer believers, uh, you want to slow down and take it at their rate, whatever that might be. So if it takes you two, lesson, two weeks on a lesson or three weeks on a lesson, that's great. That's fine. Can you offer some advice on how, as a male, I would help start a female? Yes, yes, that's a challenge, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I... I I got to Washington. I, I, I retired in 2000, uh, November of 2015, and I moved to Washington. My son-in-law was on a church staff up there, a large church, 2,500 people, and you know, I went to the pastor, and I said, I want to do this, and he said, great, but I'm going to be in your first group. So I put him in my first group, and we started our groups, and it was great, and um, got several other staff in the group, in groups, and, but we didn't have any women's groups. Uh, and I kept trying to tell my wife, and you know what that's like, guys. <coughs> I knew she she'd done about you know, but but it but she, they're relational guys. They're gals are relational. They got to have the relationship first. I just go ask a guy. I don't care whether they even know him, you know. And we get in a group and go. The gals have to have a relationship first, and at least that's what she tells me. And and so it you know it took about a year before she got her group started, but we did have there was a gal in the church who was sort of the women's ministry kind of gal. And they said, oh, you need to get Julie. You need to get Julie to do this. So I sat down with Julie and said, and she, she bought in right away. She said, absolutely, I've got gals in mind right now. And so she's already started the group. So look for one that's motivated. Look for, and then I coach her. I just kind of walk alongside of her and coach her and, and check in with her regularly, say, how's it going, Julie? Are the, group, the gals doing their stuff? They're doing their memory work. Are they trying to cut, you know, whatever. And I'll go through in a minute pitfalls and potholes that you'll run into, the things that you have to work out. But I try to walk alongside and coach. And I, and I do the coaching. I, I coach pastors in, in Romania. You know, Greg coaches over, he coaches in, in Nepal. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it doesn't matter where people are anymore. You can coach them. Um, so, uh, yes? I was going to add to that. In our church, we left traditional women's ministry. We left yes. that and started women's discipleship under the discipleship pastor and not to do it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went to the I went to the small groups pastor in our new church and showed him what I was doing. And boy, he's all in favor of it. He brings, you know, he's 
Uh, he's he's not in a group yet. We keep wanting to get him in one. He hadn't gotten in a group yet, but he's he's certainly promoting it and all over it. So, um, yeah, you don't you don't want to undercut other things that are going on because you can't replace them all, and they're good stuff. It's good things, but you you just come in and start doing this, and it starts to grow, and the larger the ship, the longer it takes to turn it. Ralph, if I could, could add in this conversation. Um, I, I think generally the preference is that you want to have somebody be, have somebody walk you through it a bit before you start your own group, if, if at all possible. You know, there, there's a lot of women who have been through university ministries, Campus Crusade, university, navigators, who have had the kind of experience uh, but may, may have lost that or stepped away from it once they went into a traditional church because traditional churches are oftentimes not doing any intentional discipleship like this. So sometimes you can find those people who have already had that kind of experience. Or you can do what I did, uh, which I not, do not necessarily recommend it, uh, but that was that uh, when I started this, my first church, I did, obviously did it among men, and the women came to me, some women came to me and said, what about us? You know, we're leaving us out here. We see what's happening in some of the men. So I gathered a lot of the ladies together on a Saturday morning, about 15 to 20 of them, and who were, I knew were well-respected in terms of their, their walk with Christ. Challenged them to, uh, to do it. Uh, you know, wouldn't be great. 15, 20 of you each find two other women. We'll have 15 groups instantaneously. And uh, they said, what? Slow down. <laughs> and their recommendation to me was, pick two of us and walk us through that process. So even though it wasn't, frankly, terribly comfortable uh, for me to be in that experience, I think I was able to provide enough of modeling in that way on a, in somewhat of a short-term fashion to then launch them to get it going. So like I said, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that process, but if, if worse comes to worse and you have to rely on a man to get it started, uh, <laughs> that, might, that might be a way to do it. Yeah, and... <clears throat> You know, God can, can help you through it. When, when I started, we didn't have any coaching. We just took the book, and we just we committed to do it by the book, and there were four of us leading groups at the same time, and we were holding each other accountable to do it by the book. So we did, and it worked. Um, you don't have to have a coach, but it certainly helps. Question, go back. You mentioned small groups a minute ago. How do, you, um, how do your small groups and discipleship groups complement each other or work together? That's a great question, and Greg has a great answer to that. He's a, he even have a handout. Get that, and I'm going to answer this other question. We'll come right back to that one. Yes. You, were you had a question. Um, so I guess the question would be is, is we've got, um, and I'm just curious if anybody is doing this already, we're running in a situation where we've got people who tapped out of the people they can find. Okay, yes, great question. So we're realizing some of it's evangelism we need to do, but it's also just the comfort level of getting to the, into the workplace and mm -hmm. next, next door neighbor and family yeah. member and other We call it the reproduction riddle. <laughs> we got to a point, we got to that point where we hit saturation. All the, all the low-hanging fruit was picked, you know. Right. Okay, now who do I get from my group? These guys that are ready, they've, they've, they've been through the curriculum, and now they're looking around to see who, and everybody they know has been through it. You know, where do I go now? Uh, so we had to solve that riddle, and I'll come back to that, and we'll try to talk about that and see if we can come up with solutions to that. We, we spent a year uh, on that, focused on that, and I think we discovered some things that might help. So. Okay, thank you. 
Everybody get a copy of this. This is this. I'm gonna let Greg come and share this. This is great about talking about the the importance of the other groups in the church. What do you do? You did did you just do quads? Is that it, or is there room for other things? Yeah, it's a way to look at the the, the visual space uh, within your church community. Uh, this is based upon a, a work um, that Joseph Myers did called "A Search to Belong." Maybe some of you came across that some time ago. Uh, you know, the discipleship that fits. Uh, Bobby Harrington and a, a co-author have taken that work and, and written some more about that in terms of the different spaces. But I, I think it's a helpful scheme to understand as you look at kind of your church in totality of how to look at these different spaces. So uh, Joseph Myers talks about uh, four spaces with basically any group of, of folks. Um, first one is, is public space. Uh, so you can see, you know, the characteristics I put in there. Um, so that's uh, a, a place where people identify with beliefs or history or experience, interest. We're talking about in the context of the church, public space is basically worship. So anybody can come into worship and go out of worship without, you know, a whole lot of commitment and you can identify with the church through that. Or maybe it's even historical connections uh, within the, the community where you have, if somebody asks you, well, what church do you go to? Well, I go to XYZ Church, uh, Brentwood Baptist Church. Um, I haven't been there in a couple of years, but if somebody died, that's where I would go <laughs> to get some help. Um, so that kind of thing. Um, I, I mentioned that because I pastored one of those types of churches in Northern California. And uh, that seemed to be, we get these, we would have a, a, a confirmation class, I think it was at, at ninth grade. And fully a third of the confirmation class would be a rite of passage for some families. Uh, their students would show up in ninth grade, go through the confirmation class, and check out again because that was something that they needed to do, probably with some potentially Roman Catholic hangover or something like that that was there. I always found that to be a strange thing, but that's uh, kind of a public. um, So the other illustration I use of that, I'm a UCLA grad. I was there during Johnny Wooden's uh, basketball years, and uh, so I have a public relationship with UCLA through basketball. You know, that's my, my heart connection to it. Um, then there's, there's the next level down is, is social connections. And this is, pl- this is the place where you're looking for chemistry and affinity or common interests with people. So oftentimes our churches will have what we, we might call mid-sized communities, um, sub-congregations within the church. Maybe a lot of these are age-stage uh, kind of development, so class for remarrieds or new- newly marrieds or... Um, you know, families with young children or uh, baby boomers, um, empty nesters, that kind of thing. And so this is a place where you can go, pretty low level commitment, but you can start looking for other people that you want to have some heart connection with. And so more of the relationships develop, of course, the more people feel like they are connected to this community. Uh, but still, pretty much the commitment of the individual to take the step find uh, other people that they're connected to. But sometimes as people are moving into the life of a community, it's helpful to have these kind of interim steps uh, where, that people can take that do not feel like they're a great amount of commitment, but they can work their way in as, as needed. And then the next level down is personal. Uh, these would be groups that are you know, 6 to 12 in size. Uh, you're getting, starting to get to know each other at a deeper level. Uh, some of the people know your faith journeys, the up and down in terms of where you have gone. Uh, you could tell your faith story in this context, and so they, they know that. But it's personal, as I say here, but not naked. <laughs> it's, you're not getting so uh, intimate. 
And so small groups in the church would fit into this category. It does require somewhat of regular attendance. Um, if you don't show up, somebody's going to come looking for you. You know, where's, where's that place if, if you, where you will be missed in the life of a community? Most often, if you don't show up for worship for a number of weeks in a row, nobody's going to know. But if you don't show up for your small group, <laughs> hopefully somebody will recognize that and come, come looking for you. Otherwise, you're in trouble. Um, and sometimes there's sometimes prep work expected uh, in a small group. Oftentimes, it's not really heavily required in that setting. But intimate um, is what we're talking about here uh, with our, our quads, our micro groups. And you can see the distinctive characteristics of those, relational transparency, truth, personally applied, life change accountability, uh, challenge to mission. And you can see the, the level of commitment required is covenantal. You show up without question. Uh, there's, you're moving towards raw honesty and preparation is required. So the levels of commitment uh, kind of go up with each one of these levels. And I think most churches probably run uh, somewhat parallel when it comes to small group ministry as well as the smaller discipleship groups. Um, so uh, it's a way of getting introduced to community, the one another's of the faith. Uh, and then as, but I would say there's, there's a direction and destination where you're trying to, to move people. Uh, ultimately, obviously, we feel that the transformative context is more of these smaller discipleship groups. Uh, but to go from public worship into a discipleship group, that could be a huge leap uh, for people to, to get there. So uh, depending upon your size of your church and uh, then in populating out these different levels uh, will make a difference. If you're 150 in size, you can go from public to small group uh, to more intimate much more easily than you can for 3,000 in worship on a Sunday morning. Uh, so the larger the church, the more you probably populate out these different levels. Uh, is that helpful to be able to see that? Okay. So you're saying that pastors uh, stay in the more public and social level? It's safer for them yeah, to safe. stay at that level? I, I yeah. think that's where most pastors stay. Yeah. yeah. And don't necessarily get in deeper in this. You want to, you want to improve your, your preaching? Get involved in an intimate group. Yeah. Seriously. Always referred to my, my small group and, <laughs> and preaching. Yeah. 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 Other questions? Did, did that help? Oh, great question. What do, you, what do you do with your teens? Yes, absolutely. Uh, parents get immediately begin to see this uh, impacting them, and they, they want it for their kids. They want it for their kids. Uh, we have um, <clears throat> we've seen more mature high schoolers leading groups. I've got them in, I've got them in Washington already. I mean, I walked in a, a Woods coffee shop. Uh, one of the guys in my group said he's a school teacher. Uh, a high school basketball coach, he says, oh, there's one of my guys. He's, you know, he's all into discipleship. Call the kid over there. He's a pastor's kid. He's got a, he's got a quad. He doesn't call it a quad. He doesn't have any material, but he's got guys that he's already trying to disciple. I show him the book. He says, man, this is great. He, go, he goes on Amazon by himself, orders a book, takes it back home. His dad sees it on the counter in the kitchen and says, I need this for my elders. <laughs> Can I have your book? And so son had to get him another book, and dad took the, took the book. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, high schoolers can do this. And he's this kid, and we've got numbers of high schoolers now in, this, in our area doing uh, discipleship essentials. Um, there is another book. Oh, the little one? We call it the little book. The little book. 
Okay, it only has eight chapters, not 25. It's, a, it's an on-ramp. You know, it's, it's a first book for guys that might be intimidated by the larger one. Use the smaller book. Um, this is called Essentials Guide to Becoming a Disciple. So it takes them to that point of becoming, oh, yeah. And finally, when they get to the end of it, they say, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, get, in a, I'll get in a, you know, I'll go to the next level. No duplication of material between the two? Nope. No duplication of material. So you can start with this one and take them, you know. And sometimes when you have people that you're only going to be able to spend a short time with, you don't have a year. And we, you, you run into those situations. Okay, here's a shortcut that, you know, at least, you know, get some introduction. Would you take a seeker through that or somebody that still needs to... I would say he's a believer. You have to be a believer. I would say he's a believer. Before you. Now, we've had seekers come to Christ in our groups, but they, we didn't know they were seekers <laughs> when they were invited in. We thought they were believers, but, then, you know, we discovered it all along. <laughs> would that be ideal for a brand new Christian? You can take it. Yeah, you can take new Christians through this. Would that be good for the personal size group, or does that also need to be more? Things? It's intended to be the you know the quad size because it gets them ready for that. Yes. I've heard you say gender specific. Right. Tell me then what your thinking is if couples want to get together. I've heard you say gender specific, but we have couples. In other words, your quad could be yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the gender specificity. Why? What would be? What's advantageous about having just guys with guys and gals with gals? We'll talk about that first, and I'll come back to your question. Okay? What do you think? What kinds of things you can share? Kinds of things you can share. Guys know this very well. There are things you're not going to share with your wife sitting in the room, or some other woman is sitting in the room. You're not going to talk about that. It wouldn't be right. So you can't talk about. So you've limited the conversation. You know, when you have a gender mixed group. Other comments? Well, the women aren't going to talk as much. Yeah, they're going to let the men do the talking. Yeah. And in most cu- couples that I know... <laughs> can be pretty quiet. <laughs> or the other way around. <laughs> in couples that I know, one's the voice, right? One's the voice, and I don't care. You ask her, and he answers, or you ask him, and she answers, you know? It's just, that's the way it is. So there will be silent people in the group when you, have, when you mix. Yes, yeah. When they're actually speaking about themselves, <laughs> but they want to blame the spouse. Yeah, they are. You need this, honey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those, those words. And yeah. This weekend, this, these two days have kind of encouraged me to be able to push back on that when I hear Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and so those are some of the downside. Now, there's an upside. Why would, you, why would gals and guys, well, Jake Locker, you know Jake Locker? And his wife, Lauren, they want to be in a group together. He wants Lauren to get this. He's in a group. He's growing. He said, but I want my wife to get this. So can I, do a, can I do a group with another couple that we know each other? Okay, go ahead. So he's doing a group now. Uh, and, and it's two couples. But the other couple are mature believers. And they will enjoy it. They will get much out of it. Lauren will get a whole lot more out of it when she gets her own quad of gals. But right now, they'll do it in that context, and it'll be fine. So, you, yes, you can. Uh, it limits what you can, how deep you can go and what some of the conversation that will be there. But, uh, yeah, and if they're mature believers, I think it, there's much to be gained. So they can. They can and they can learn the process so they can turn around and, and, and multiply. Yes, in the back. Splitting the session, if you do couples, into men and women, 
might alleviate some of that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I had a small group uh, that I was doing, and we had started this, and my small group kept on meeting, and then finally they said, we got to a part where we're choosing new curriculum, and what do we do next? And they said, we want to do the discipleship stuff. And I said, can't do the discipleship stuff because, you know, so the women met in the kitchen, the men met in the, you know, the front room, and we, we split them up. When they got to the end, the gals went and got their new groups, the guys went and got their new groups, and my small group disappeared. Okay. Yes. I, I guess, um, how, how often does your, your slot be? Is it weekly or weekly? Okay. Yeah. And so then that brings up the other question to me is I look at these four size groups and, and I look at a church that's very busy and then suddenly we're. we're You're adding, adding a whole new. Yes. Complexity on it. So we're saying we want you to do worship, we want you to do a ministry, uh, we want you to do a small group. Uh, oh, yeah, your Bible study group is probably pretty good too. And yeah, by the way, the, the real stuff happens in this. <laughs> before, too. Uh, and just quit your job, man. That's right. That's right.
cover all these groups. You can't mentor every leader. Is there a way to have the table leaders who have had their their uh, yeah. disciples go on Our actually become like a Barnabas to them? Yeah, there's an organization that just kind of automatically starts to uh, to you know surface when our groups got you know started multiplying out. I assigned one of my staff guys, okay, I'm the point guy for discipleship. I'm not going to delegate. Jesus didn't delegate discipleship. I'm not going to delegate discipleship. I will be the point guy holding up the banner of discipleship in our church from now on. But you've got to run this thing. I can't, I, can't, I can't administrate it. So he became the administrator of, of, the, of our uh, discipleship uh, movement in the church. And, and then he had others that were working with him. And he set up an organization. And his organization were coaches. He called them coaches. Those were the ones who had had several small group or quad experiences and had proven themselves. And so they became coaches and he designated them that way. And they were responsible for certain organizations within the organizations as the thing began to multiply out. And you may find better ways to do that, you know. Uh, we, we did it to five years in and then I retired. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it'll get more complex than I even saw. Um, process degeneration. You know, Ralph, maybe we can interject here. What, and this, we can throw this to the group. So what happens in a, in a group where you, somebody articulates such a, something like you, what you've just, uh, so in the group experience, somebody comes off some of the off the wall kind of theological error or comment. Um, how might we handle that within a group setting? Ask them for a section of scripture that supports their claim. Okay. Would you do that one-on-one, or how would you? Would you do that in the group? Where'd you get that harebrained idea? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, Let's hope so. That, that, okay, so the only thing that really goes off the rails is when all four wheels yeah, come yeah. off the track. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had an issue like that just a, couple, a few weeks ago. One of the guys said, you know, I, I really don't have my mind wrapped around this thing of, you know, uh, security of the believer. He didn't say that. He, that's my words. <laughs> but he, he, he wasn't sure. Uh, and he was a leader in the church. Uh, and I was, I was surprised, I was taken aback that he didn't have, he didn't have that one sewn up yet. Uh, but that's the surprising thing that happens in these groups. You find people that they don't, you thought they understood these things. Uh, this guy's an elder and he didn't have that one wrapped up yet. He just hadn't. And so we had to stop and spend time on that. And we had to ask those questions. Well, okay, Joe, what do you think? You know, okay, why do you think that? Where do you get that from? Okay, and we went and started looking at scriptures and started unpacking it uh, to try to help. And you can do that in a group of four uh, easily. You can stop and, and take the time to do that. You can't do that on Sunday morning. You can't do that on, I mean, I can sit up there and, you know, 
preach it, but... Absolutely. Absolutely. He's probably doubted that for years and heard people talk about it and never been satisfied with the answers. But who would know? He's never had a place to voice it. <laughs> yeah, there you go, too. That's right. Let's look at it. Let's find it. Let's, let's see if we... Yep, yep. Uh, and, and that's... Boy, that's, that's real transformation. That's real understanding that comes out of that. When they search it out and come to their own conclusion. They're not just hearing... You know, me on Sunday morning, you know, declare it. They're looking in the scriptures, finding the answers themselves. Process degeneration, number two. That's when uh, the process starts breaking down. Uh, I had a guy that came in and said, uh, caught me in the parking lot. I said, you know, I'm raising my grandkid. You know, the guy in the relationship was long gone. The gal's trying to go to work and, you know, whatever. And he's, he and his wife now are raising a grandkid. And they're saying, and I got my job. I got all this. He said, I cannot do this. I can't keep up with the homework. Uh, can I just audit this class? <laughs> can, I just, can I just come in and sit in? I love it. I want to be here. But, you know, I just, I can't, I can't do the homework. And I, uh, I said to him, oh, man, that's, oh, yeah, okay. Well, come on in. We'll talk to the guys. I was, I was, I was waffling. <laughs> I get in with the guys. Uh, he tells his story with the guys. One of my guys says, man up. I'm going to do this. You're going to do this. <laughs> I mean, he just slammed him right there. The guy came back the next week with his homework done. You know, he'd memorize his verse. And, you know, uh, you know, you let the guys answer sometimes, you know, or the group, you know, do the discipline or whatever is necessary. Uh, but you process degeneration. If you do, if you, if you let that happen, then what's the next group going to do? And then the next group after that. Uh, like begets like. And if you let this thing, uh, you start sh- shortcutting it. Okay, we don't have to memorize the scripture. You have trouble memorizing, you don't have to me- or you don't have to do your homework or whatever. Yeah? When you set up a quad or triad, whatever, and there are going to be times when one person or another moves. Yes. Okay. At that point in time, do you try to continue with a triad if you were at a quad, or can you add a new person in that mix partway through the process that you're going through? Yep. What do you think, guys? Gals? I don't recommend adding anybody in the middle. Okay. Um, Why? I would say if you get down to one on one, it's it's still okay. 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 Um, we, 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 Yeah. And to bring somebody in 12 weeks into it or whatever, um, I think damages a group. Yeah. Yeah, I have a group like that. I have a group where a guy moved. Um, he, he moved. And so our quad went down to a triad. I said to the guys, I said, well, if we, if we invite somebody in, we'd have to get somebody who's already very mature, aware spiritually, uh, that would either 
then go back around the second time and pick up what he didn't get or he would be mature enough to just just go on and pick it up in his next group or we could just stay with with three we stayed with the three uh, th that's one of the advantages of quad you still have a good even when somebody's absent you know during the which happens you know periodically somebody can't be there for you got three you got a great discussion you're, you're you're good if it gets down to two you know one-on-one -on -one, you have some disadvantages there but um, it, you know you can continue on or you can stop and start over and invite you know a whole new group in so there are various ways to deal okay uh, reproduction failure uh, when the groups aren't reproducing, and we had this about our third year in, we began to uh, recognize that our reproduction percentages were going down, the numbers, and because of the fact that the low-hanging fruit had been picked and all this kind of stuff, uh, so we weren't getting the reproduction that we had initially. Uh, what did we do about it? What would you do? What would you look at? Excuse me? Okay, the covenant. Go back and review the covenant. We, we realized that we had not been as clear on the covenant so that people understood that this was supposed, this is, this is where it's going. They're expecting to. Other thoughts? Definition of a disciple. Definition of, how do you mean? If a disciple of Jesus Christ understands the great commission that we are to go and teach and baptize others and teaching them to maturity, if you're a disciple, that's who you are. You do that. Yeah, they understand that this is where it's going. They understand that from, you know, from the very beginning. Yes? Evaluate maybe your curriculum or just the way you structure the groups to make sure that it's addressing outreach. Okay, that it's addressing those things. And outreach is a good one because you, uh, I love that. What's the first word of discipleship? Hello? <laughs> you know, it starts with evangelism. You don't disciple a person until they come to Christ. So that's a part of the whole discipleship process is leading people to Christ. You can't, you can't shortcut the evangelism component. Kind of the elephant in the room, the thing that most churches do when they see those numbers going down is hit the panic button and say it's time to do something different. <laughs> <laughs> what we did was we, 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 I pulled the staff together in January where we set up our objectives for the next year and we said one of our, you know, our prime objectives for next year is to solve the, the discipleship riddle. And we started meeting regularly, praying and talking, and we decided, okay, here's some issues. There are some people who are relationally gifted. It's no problem. They can find three people to do anything, you know. There are other people that are relationally challenged. They don't, they can, they know. And I had one in one of my groups, and the guy says, I'll sign this covenant, but I've, I've tried groups before. Nobody, I can't ever get people together. I'm just, I can't do that. And he was right. He was an engineer, very smart, but he was also, I, my wife is a marriage and family therapist. I ought to have these terms down. I, I don't. Not bipolar. Uh, anyway, he, mental issues. If he wasn't on his meds, he goes, you know, he's, he's over the edge kind of thing. So he had, he had real issues there. He was great in the, sound t in the tech booth. You know, you could do all that stuff up there. But you're talking about getting it with people. He didn't do it well. Uh, we said, okay, all right, okay. Um, but he stayed in the group. He did his answer. Uh, he did great answers. I mean, he was always looking up in three different translations. And, you know, it was great with that. 
But when it came down to the personal relationships, he was person, he was relationally challenged. He, he was 45, living in, with his mother. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, um, but uh, it took about a year, and he found two other engineers, and he finally got a group, <laughs> and they went through. Uh, we gave him time. We walked alongside him. We kept him in the second group while he was still looking for his group. We encouraged him every week, prayed for him, and uh, he finally got his group. Uh, some of them we pair up, we send them out, okay, these are two both, you know, are one's weak and one's not, and we, we pair them up with somebody, so they go out in twos rather than one guy going out, it, two of you, each of you find one person, and you, and you do it that way. Sometimes somebody, it's a confidence level, they just don't feel like they can handle the material, and, and okay, go through it again, go through it a second time. So you put them in a group a second time through. We found, we, we did a number of different things, but our, our reproduction level went back up. Okay, um, hijackers. Hijackers, that's the person who has his own uh, agenda. And they intentionally want to take the group somewhere else, you know. They're going to go to another church. They, they got mad at somebody. They got, you know. Um, what do you do with that? <laughs> Open. Kiss him goodbye. <laughs> you know, let him go. Yeah. Well, and you... Yeah, those are things that keep you on your knees. Uh, those are things you pray about. And every situation's different. Uh, sometimes it's a confrontation that has to happen. You know, you've got to go sit down with somebody and say, you know, um, what you're doing is not right. You know, you need to pray about this. You need to think about this because I'm not sure that you, you want to go down this road. It's not healthy. Um, other times it might be you, you just let it go. You let them go. I, mean, I don't know. But uh, those, those things can happen. Uh, ministry distractions. This is a this is a great one. Uh, what about all those other things in the church that are getting in the way of discipleship? You know, like you said, you got so many things going on. Uh, I love this the way that we we voice this. I had um, it was about third year in. Um, I we do this we do this elaborate Christmas thing. It's the it's the um, you know, rivals the Crystal Cathedral. I mean, we did. We fly in the angels. We're doing hanging. We were doing all this kind of stuff. Live animals, and you know, we're doing this great Christmas. And we have all of these decisions for Christ. Mark and the cards raising. You know, all this kind. Of, we had Nick Vujicic. You know who Nick Vujicic is? Life without limbs. We had Christmas with Saint Nick, and and Nick did the evangelism thing at the end. Oh man, we just, lots of decisions and everything. We did. We've been doing those kinds of things, and um, and I go to the gal. Who's, who puts all this together for us every I go to her in July and I said, I got this great idea for next Christmas. Here's what we're going to do. And I'm, man, we're gonna, the parking lot's going to be Jerusalem. We're going to do all, you know. I lined it all out for her and, and I, I'm looking at her to you know, just jump on board. And she's got this blank look on her face. And she says, Well, let me think about it. We'll talk about it next week. Okay, all right, okay. So next week I get a phone call and, and Cheryl says, you know, uh, let's get together and uh, we're going to get together for lunch or whatever. And so she brings her husband because she knows I'm going to want to shoot her. And sh she says, I think we should cancel Christmas this year. What? Uh, yeah, she says, I think we should cancel. I did this last year and it destroyed my quad. We couldn't meet for two months. He said, I, I think at the, at the level we are, we'll, we'll undercut the momentum of the quads and they're more important than what we do at Christmas. And I think we shouldn't do it this year. And I, he said, and she says, she said this way, and I can't do it this year. And I don't think you should either. 
<laughs> you know, I want to strangle her. Oh, you know, I, I was livid. I was livid. And I, you know, we separate. We, and I'm thinking all week long, I'm, I'm wrestling with this thing before I realize she's dead right. She's dead right. This thing, I mean, that thing we did at Christmas was an all skate. It took everybody in the church to put this thing on and, you know, just myriads of people doing all kinds of stuff. And it would, it would just, I mean, everything goes on hold for two months. You know, in November, December, there's nothing else happening. Um, she was right. And we canceled Christmas. We canceled Christmas. Whoa, big deal. And it was, but it made a strong point because we said to everybody, there's something more important. And you know what? All those cards that they signed, all the hands that went, we never saw those people again. <laughs> they were often talking about somebody else's church anyway. They were, you know, um, we, it didn't slow us down a bit. In fact, we, we accelerated. Now, the next Christmas, we, we, we found a way to do something at Christmas. You know, we, we had some things that went on, but, uh, but we, we stopped doing the big extravaganza. So it will change. It will impact your church. And, and I, I said it before, the bigger your church, the slower the turn. You, you turn that boat too quick and people are going overboard. <laughs> You're losing them. So you slowly turn it. You slowly turn it and let it turn. And it organically does itself. As more people get involved, more people catch it. Uh, it grows on them and it changes. Um, ministry distractions. Uh, number six, Satan. The unseen enemy that only prayer, uh, the, uh, for which prayer is the only defense. You know, Satan's going to be, he's going to be there. Don't, don't kid yourself. Uh, bathe it in prayer. Lots of prayer. Okay, potholes. Those are the ones that you, you, they're a little more easy to, to solve. Excuses. Excuses. What are the excuses? What? Don't have time. What else? Been there, done that, you know. I, didn't work before. Yeah, 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 we tried that, didn't work. <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, what are your answers? How do you answer that? It is a big commitment. But we're called to be disciples. Yeah. Okay. Yep. We're called to be disciples. All of us are called. Jesus didn't, it was, so it's not optional. You pick up a cross. Yeah, yeah. Share them the scripture, pray for them. Um, I, I never pressure people to be in a group. And if they're not ready, okay, they're not ready. I'm looking for people that are, that are hungry, people that want to grow. And usually they're out there. You just have to find them. Yeah. Often it's a okay. So an to ah, so oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Why, why, can't, why don't you have time? Well, because, and they let you in on something. I was just, I was just diagnosed with, you know, <laughs> three, third stage cancer. You know, oh, okay. Yeah, I get it now. Uh, there are reasons. There are authentic reasons why some people can't. And, yeah, asking the right questions. And Sometimes it's, it's masking. Maybe there's a, a, a sense of Yeah. They don't even recognize why yet. Sure. Sure. You're good. 
Yeah, okay, scheduling. Okay, you got everybody's agreed, you meet your first meeting, and then say, okay, now when are we going to meet every week? And you can't find a time. <laughs> uh, you get that schedule out, you just hammer it out. I've got a group that's, that's fairly new, and we have a, we've only met twice in a row on the same, at the same time in the week. You know, we met two Friday mornings, but we had, that's, that's all we've ever been able to do consistently. And uh, we just have to, every week, we're deciding when we're going to meet. Two guys and businessmen that travel a lot, and then I travel. So uh, it's, it's tough, but you know, we're committed to do it. We'll meet Monday when I get back. Um, we're committed, and we find, we're, we're finding the time. So you just, have to, you just have to find it. My wife's group, her first group in Washington has been awful. You know, these gals, I mean, it's been terrible getting them together. They just, one of them's got little tiny children, and so she, and then she got a job halfway, you know, once they get started, and then she goes out and gets a job. What in the world should you want to do that for? You know, and it just complicates, so they've had a real hard time. She got her second group, and boy, they're dynamite. So she's, yeah. So our, our men's ministry discipleship groups actually meet all together. Okay. Um, in a restaurant, we're fortunate we have a yep. Yeah. It's kind of neat because you're in amongst in this big room, yes. all these different tables, so you get that experience of people, other people are doing it. Plus, if your if your table's not there, you can go join. Join somebody else's table. Yeah. Yeah. We did Denny's that way on Friday mornings, yes. and we and we had we took we took the whole section. They have a meeting room section. And we took over that whole meeting room every Saturday, every Friday morning, six o'clock. And probably 25, 30 guys there every every week, and we just did the different tables. Yeah. Yeah. So the craziness of schedule. Um, ideally, meet weekly. Yes. But let's say one week we can't meet, nobody's schedule works out. Would you say, okay, we're going to meet at Monday because that's next Monday we can meet, and we're also going to meet Friday so that we can. We're still averaging a week, but we're going to meet twice next week because yeah. we can agree on that, so that we continue to do a. That's a good. That's a good solution. Yeah. Sometimes we miss a week. That's it, it, we miss a week. That's, that's not devastating. That doesn't kill anything. Yeah. Yeah. You miss a week. You miss a week. Catch it up. What if somebody um, misses who's pretty young and you're concerned that they need that material? You have a makeup meeting just with him. Have a makeup meeting just with that person. Uh, I've done that. Um, you find a solution. Um, scheduling. Unwillingness to sign the covenant. What are your thoughts? So we've not pushed it. <laughs> okay. We still want them to go through the material, and then usually through the material they realize. You get two more chances. You know, in the material, there are two more times you go back and revisit the covenant. So... Yeah, you know, yeah. Did you ask him if they signed a contract for their car? Did they sign a contract for their house? <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Some people will get hung up there. You do do what God leads you to do there. Sometimes it's it's more important that they're just there. Well, are they willing to make a verbal commitment? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like the covenant. I've, I, all, I've, I don't think I've ever let a group that I didn't have them sign the covenant, but I know there are times, and others have told me that there are times that they've run into situations that they couldn't, you know, it didn't 
are your thoughts on how some of these excuses relate to younger millennials who are typically not joiners and don't schedule out beyond a few days typically? I was, in my own case, in my 20s, and, and just how have you run into any of that? And, and then really want to jump into some of those issues. I haven't, I haven't, and I want you to tell me what you're seeing out there, because that may be an issue that I'm just not aware of. Right, right. I mean, I, as I look at it, and I think about our own church, I see some that I want to bring into right. the groups as I'm looking at these individuals. Might be less that likely. That may be a challenge. Yeah. Consistent time of the week and this and that. They just, yeah. That's not how they operate. Not how they operate, yeah. Right. I don't know. I mean, last night we heard some renters say millennials are definitely looking for relationships. This is their stuff. This is, yeah, this is huge. And then on the other hand, we heard Jim Puffman remind us that millennials are just people. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm discipled millennials just as much as I've discipled the, the only difference I found is if it, the only thing I found that helps is if you have food. If you, if you have food for the millennials, it helps. Yeah. And truly, if you cook it, they will come. They will come. <laughs> I mean, I have my daughter's friends have me on speed dial, and they will be like, hey, it, it'll be a Saturday night. Can you cook brownies and homemade ice cream will be there in an hour? <laughs> 20 kids will be in my basement. There you go. You know, I'm cooking brownies and homemade ice cream. Yeah. And so there you go. So, <laughs> so there's some, there are answers. Keep looking for them. Yeah, that's good. Those are good. Yes, in the back. Yes. So we literally We're out of time, and I don't want to uh, hold you over. If you want to stay and ask more questions, I'd be glad to hang around and do that. Uh, Let me ask you one more thing before we close, and that is I'd like to take just about 60 seconds here, uh, pause in silence, and have you write down the next three people you're going to invite. Who are the names that come to your mind? Let's ask God to put somebody on your heart, see if there's somebody He wants you to consider. Pray for and think about putting in your next group. That may be six months from now, maybe tomorrow. See if you can come up with a couple names. See what happens. Chad, I wasn't necessarily meaning to pass that out, but you can if you want. Um, I have a, a limited number of copies of what I call a leader's guide for discipleship essentials. And it's a pre- fairly newly minted. Uh, next year, discipleship essentials will come out as, with its 20th anniversary edition, and we're adding a leader's guide as a part of it. And this is a draft of that. So you, this is a preview copy of that leader's guide. And if you want it, you can have it. I have a limited number of those, so uh, Chad has them in hand. So whoever wants them, you can put your hands up, and, and Chad can, can take them. So hopefully we'll have enough to go around. 
I was going to leave them on the table out there, but I should have. So this is kind of a step-by-step process and gives you a number of options of how to cover the material, and hopefully this is helpful to you um, for that. Okay, uh, one uh, kind of closing challenge or story here as we, as we finish up, and I know we have a 2 o'clock session uh, to get to, but we always like to kind of conclude with this, this story. Take you back to the 1988 Olympic Games in Seoul, Korea. Uh, one of the highlights of the, the Olympic Games uh, was the 4x4 100 or 4x100 meter relay uh, at the time, and the American team, of course, was thought to be the class of the field. Uh, in fact, uh, there was actually no doubt as to who was going to win the race because uh, the only doubt was were they going to break the world record when winning the race. So at the time, you know, there was obviously a lot of anticipation as that race was, uh, was begun. You have the clock out on the field that shows you uh, where the runners are in comparison to the world record. So the, the people in the stands can check that at all times in terms of uh, how, how that's going. So high, high level of expectancy and, and tension in, in the crowd. So everybody's lined up you know, at the starting blocks for the 4x100 relay. The gun goes off and shoo, the American runner shoots out uh, quickly and they're, you know, 10 yards ahead before almost anything is going on there. And uh, so the pass occurs from the first runner to the second runner, and the crowd's starting to see, looking at the clock and see where the American team is, and they're ahead of the world record pace. The pass goes from the first runner to the second runner, and the gap is increasing between the runners, and obviously the American team is way out ahead. Uh, third runner gets the, the, the baton, is heading towards the fourth runner. The crowd is getting louder and louder and cheering. You know, as things are going on, the world record pace is being broken. And the third runner gets to handing off the baton to the fourth runner. And there's some confusion going on there. And they, all of a sudden, the, and the air goes out of the crowd. And there's silence. So here's the, here's the challenge. Don't drop the baton. Lord God, thank you for this time uh, together. Uh, bless each one here as we try to be that link to the next generation of uh, being faithful to what you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. That message was from the Global Discipleship Initiative track at the National Disciple Making Forum. Download the free PDF that summarizes exactly how they teach people to do the microgroups that are made up of three or four people. Download it at discipleship.org global. That's discipleship.org global. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.